Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. You know your own degrees. Sit down. And first and last, a hearty welcome. Yes. Welcome to the Serial Killer Podcast. The podcast dedicated to serial killers. Who they were... What they did and how. I am your Norwegian host, Thomas Viborg Thun. The first welcome you heard was my idol, Orson Welles, in his excellent performance in the film Macbeth. I found it rather apt. We are nearing the end of our stay in early 16th century Hungary. The walls around our blood countess are closing in on her, and she grows ever more desperate. But we are not finished with our dear Lady Bathory. This episode is, thanks to you, dear listener, 100% sponsored ad-free. It is financed, 
solely by my very loyal patrons who are helping to produce the show via Patreon. As I have mentioned in the last couple of episodes, the podcast breached the 10 million downloads mark by the 1st of December 2018. If you wish to participate in this show's continued success and development, I have created several tiers for those of you that wish to support the show financially. If you pledge $1, that is still a really big help, but you are of course welcome to donate more, and the rewards for doing so gross the larger the donation is. For example, I will read out a public thank you if you donate $15. And if you really want to join the TSK aficionados, donate $50 or more. Go to patreon.com slash the serial killer podcast to learn more. Any donation is greatly appreciated. Also, do not miss out on bonus content, previews, exclusive interactions with me, and more on both my Facebook page at facebook.com slash the SK podcast and my subreddit on reddit.com slash r slash the SK podcast. I really appreciate listener feedback, so please. Feel free to post reviews, comments, or questions there. Imagine, if you will, their listener, the castle Chechi, looming over you and your traveling companion. You're sitting on horseback with two other men, the nobleman, Janosz Belaszki, and his friend, Martin Sanadi. Janosz's sister had not too long ago been admitted to Countess Bathory's gynoseum for young girls of noble birth. But, since entering Erzsébet's supposed school of etiquette, the young girl had given no word of her stay there. The castle silhouetted against the grey sky, is very impressive. It has a large central tower where you can see the yellow light of perhaps a fireplace. The castle is situated on a top of a peak above the local village, and the stone walls rise up from the mountain rock, as though part of the mountain itself. The road you're on is narrow, and winding like a snake up the mountainside towards the heavy iron gate in the foundation wall. You are allowed entry by one of the castle's unhappy servants, and are greeted by a very grumpy countess. Janosch demands to see his sister at once, but the lady refuses. The girl is tired from studying and chores, and simply cannot be disturbed she states. However, Janosch is relentless, and your party is told to wait in the courtyard. It's cold, and it's miserable. There aren't many people to see. Most of the windows and doors are shuttered, 
and the few servants you do see scatter like rats. After over an hour, the girl is finally brought out. She is a shadow of her former beautiful self. She can hardly walk and hold out her bruised and scabbed arms for her dear brother, who catches his beloved little sister. She cries miserably in his arms, but is soon left behind. Later, at the trial of the Countess, Martin Shanadi recounts that after they had left, the poor girl was tortured to death. It is quite odd that the men would leave the poor girl alone in such a state, but probably the Countess managed to convince the men that the girl was simply weak and needed discipline. It is also quite possible that monetary reasons doomed the young girl. Noblewoman Anna Zeleszcze also testified that her daughter, Zhushka, had been given to the court where she had been so badly beaten and tortured that the flesh literally fell from her bones before she died. How she knew this is not discussed in her deposition, nor whether she did anything to attempt a rescue. Nobles Melchior and Paul Nagivathi testify that their sister had been entrusted and passed on to the gynoseum. The brothers made extensive inquiries regarding her, but learned only later that she had died there. Nobleman Gaspar Zhudubashai lost his sister Anna, for Georgios Kukunski, Benedict Barbel and Dorothea Yezernishki. It was a daughter. Michael Hervoit, provisor of Setche Castle, said that one could hear every day the sounds of beatings being heard from her gynoseum, including the crying and lamenting of the beaten girls. The fact that they were beaten more and more often, and that they could be heard crying, changed nothing. The castellan at Cheche, Michael Horvath, stated that he knew of seven girls who had died at the gynoseum, and that they had been buried in the little garden behind the courtyard at Cheche. Unfortunately, the bodies were not buried deeply enough. Dogs promptly dug up the corpses and carried body parts around the yard. Even the relatives of faithful servants were not exempt from a fate of torture and death. Janos Deseo, castellan of Castle Kareshtur, testified that his niece, Kata Berenje, had been accepted at the countess's court. Rumors quickly circulated, however, that the girl was being beaten severely. He went first to one of Ershebet's accomplices, asking to see his niece and perhaps give her a little money. The following is an account of what happened. The old woman told him, If you value your head, you should not dare to try this without the knowledge of her grace. 
Deseo next learned that the Countess was planning an extended trip to Cheche. She intended to take his niece with her for an unknown period of time, and he wished to intercept the travelling party before they left. As the horses were being fixed to the carriages, he met up with the Countess. Your Grace, he said, bowing to her, might I please see my niece before you take your leave? I hear you are going to take her along to Cheche, and no one knows when I might be able to see her again. He added breathlessly, I also want to give her some money. Avoiding eye contact, the lady replied evenly, You definitely cannot speak with her now. But if you want to see her, you can see her when she climbs into the carriage. She then hurried to her coach. At this point only two horses had been hitched, yet the countess still ascended the carriage, believing the entire team to be ready. Meanwhile, Deseo caught sight of his niece. She was freezing and in tears, and seeing her in this condition brought him to tears as well. He ran back after the countess. Merciful lady, he begged, please, do not take my niece with you. I implore you, in the name of God, not by me alone, but on behalf of all my relatives. The countess pretended not to hear. Deseo persisted. We indeed see that she does not know how to serve the will of your grace. Ershebet turned to him now, furious. I certainly will not give her back, because she has already escaped from me three times. All the more will I kill her. She cried to the coachman to hurry on now, while Janos Deseo grabbed onto the coach, weeping and begging. The horses secured, the coach lurched forward. Deseo recounted that his niece never returned and that she was later beaten to death. By this time, the Countess was simply no longer caring what happened to her. So far, no one had any real evidence, and no proper investigation had been launched. It was an open secret that the Countess was torturing and killing her maiden servants, but it was still deemed rumours and not facts. However, since Bathory had moved on to torturing and killing young girls of noble blood, things quickly changed. The maids were now appearing in public, with bandaged hands, welts, black and blue marks on their faces, and burn scars. And efforts to keep the beatings a complete secret were also failing. For example, when the Countess went to Trenchen in early 1610, Georgi Pellio, a young man from town, watched as one of the girls was bound and then violently beaten and lashed near the river. The girl was then forced into icy water, in her clothes, and not permitted to remove them when taken out. Another local, Georgios Habdak, testified under oath that he had seen girls shackled by the creek, who were cruelly shattered and covered in bleeding wounds. Witness Mikhail Pablishki said that in the autumn of 1610, 
when the countess came to Sechi, he saw two ladies from her entourage with bruises and black and blue marks, and their faces scratched as if by nails. Another local man, Martin Gonda, said that he himself often saw virgins with swollen faces and hands covered with blue patches. Andreas Somogi, a city official in Ujele, observed two girls whose hands were so badly burned that they needed help ascending into their carriage, and Judge Tomasz Javorka had frequently seen the faces of the virgins in her retinue, disfigured and covered with blue spots from numerous blows. When craftsman Adam Polio was called to the castle to do a job, he actually witnessed a naked girl with her feet shackled to a table. Perhaps the worst slip occurred when a tortured servant girl managed to escape and make her way back to town with a knife still buried in her foot. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have our burdens to bear, dear listener, and as a man, I was, and am, often told to suck it up, keep calm, and carry on. Normally, good advice in many situations, but never talking about what bothers you is not healthy. Therapy is great to get things off your chest, to vent, and best of all, to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Everyone needs someone to talk to, even psychopaths, even your humble host. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash serialkiller today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash serial killer. In addition to townspeople, church officials and gravediggers also saw their fill. Janos Palenik saw for himself the bodies of the girls who died during the wedding celebration of Katalin and Georgi Homonai, covered with horrible wounds, their faces crushed, burned, and full of blue spots. The sexton at the church in Kostulani, Georgi Mladish, 
added that they were disfigured, shattered, and covered with stains. And his assistant, Mikhail Palanik, testified to the same. Even the household staff was now seeing direct evidence of these crimes. Sarvar servant Ferenc Torok testified to seeing girls with their arms tied up such that their hands were blue and blood came from their fingers. The knight Ferenc Bornemige said that once, as he arrived into the house of the lady, he witnessed girls with their hands bound, wrapped with rain straps and hanging from the iron lattice at the window by their hair. Details of how the noble girls were being tortured also soon became public knowledge, but what was perhaps most shocking were allegations of exactly how these girls were being tortured and killed, washed with and made to roll on the floor in nettles, pins stuck into their lips and under the fingernails, needles jabbed into their shoulders and arms, floggings on the breasts, while held in chains, their hands, arms, and abdomens scorched with burning irons, chunks of skin wrenched from their backs with pliers, noses, lips, tongues, and fingers pierced with needles, mouths forced shut with clamps, flesh cut out from the buttocks and from between the shoulders, then cooked and served to them, Flesh and private parts singed with candles, knives plunged into arms and feet, hands crushed and maimed, fingers cut off with scissors and shears, red-hot pokers shoved up vaginas, bodies beaten to death with cudgels, lashings until flesh fell from the bones, and girls made to stand naked in the winter cold, doused with water, or submerged up to the neck in icy rivers. In a matter of weeks, in fact, the entire gynoseum had been wiped out. Instead of using her usual excuse of a cholera epidemic, commentators say that this time Ershebet concocted an elaborate explanation. According to the lady, one of the girls had murdered all the rest because of her greed for their jewellery. When servants discovered what she had done, the child committed suicide. This time, the countess had simply gone too far. Nearly a dozen complaints from the families flooded both the Palatines and King's courts, specifically accusing the countess of torturing and murdering young girls from the Hungarian aristocracy. When news reached the king that noble girls had been murdered, he finally had what he needed to seek a criminal conviction. Like other clergymen in his situation, the elderly pastor at Sece, ninety-year-old Reverend Andras Barosius, was concerned over the countess's bizarre and repeated requests for burials. When his questions went unanswered, he began to keep a detailed record of the bodies, and this document eventually made its way into the hands of both Palatine and King. Erzsebet 
had dealt with this type of situation before, at Sarvar, under Pastor Maghiari. In those days, however, Ferenc Nadasti was there to protect her. Whether through charm, reputation, or simple bribery, the Count had always managed to extricate himself and his wife from harm, appeasing the clergy every time questions arose over mysterious deaths. Now, however, the Countess was on her own, and this time the clergy was beginning to speak out, stand up to her, wherever the killings were taking place. And so it is that we find ourselves in the year 1610. It began with a wedding. Ershabet's daughter, Catalin, was set to marry Lord Georgi Drugeth de Homonai on January the 6th. The wedding was to be held at Cheche Castle, and Countess Bathory planned a lavish event. Despite the political intrigue beginning to swirl around her like a hurricane of vengeance and justice, the Countess temporarily put all of it out of mind. Catalin was the youngest and supposedly favourite child of Ergebet, and she had participated in her mother's torturing sessions on several occasions. The soon-to-be Countess of Homenai was spending time with Ergebet at Cheche just before her wedding day. And what better way to celebrate a wedding than by sexual torture and murder? Both Catalin and the lady were reputed to have tortured and burned two servant girls in their chamber the night before Catalin's wedding. The girls had been burned, and Ergebet had again put a red-hot iron fireplace poker into their vaginas. The two girls later died while the wedding festivities were going on, and numerous servants and townspeople were aware of how their bodies were taken away to Costulani for what was supposed to be a secret burial. The church sextant at Costolani, as well as two gravediggers, testified under oath that the bodies were also covered in welts, and their faces were mangled. The witnesses to these murders were no mere peasants, but clergy and nobility, and Ershabet had finally gone too far. The first legal steps taken against the Countess began in February of 1610. On the 5th of March, Georgi Thurzo dispatched two letters, one to Chief Notary Andras of Kareshtur, and the other to Deputy Notary and Judge Moses Giraki. Thurzo stated, you know how, both in the past and present time, several serious complaints have come to us regarding the noble lady Ershabet Bathory, namely that she, through some sort of evil spirit, has set aside her reverence for God and man, and has killed in cruel and various ways 
many girls and virgins and other women who lived in her gynoseum. By June, with the proceedings well underway and evidence piling up against their mother in law, Counts Miklos Zrinyi and Georgi Drugeth de Homonai met with Georgi Thurzo for a round of secret negotiations. How, they wanted to know, could they keep this scandal from getting out of control? Thurso was already contemplating a plan, and asked the younger men if he could count on their loyalty. They agreed. Around this time, the Countess was likely receiving word that a formal inquest or even trial against her was only months away. She might also have received word that her sons-in-law were actively conspiring with Thurzo. On the 3rd of September, 1610, she wrote her last will and testament, declaring that all of her assets pass equally to her three children, son Paul and daughters Anna and Kata. Meanwhile, she also began corresponding with her younger cousin, Gabor Bathory, voivod of Transylvania, regarding the legal status of her holdings and, possibly, a political alliance with him. One month later, she returned to Sarvar, where she collected most of her jewellery and other personal valuables and then ordered it all sent to Shetche Castle officially establishing Shetche as her new court. She likely knew the walls were closing in on her. And so we come to this evening's conclusion. Next week I will tell you about how the Blood Countess met her end in the final episode of this series. So... As they say in the land of radio, stay tuned. I have been your host, Thomas Vyborg Thune, and this podcast would not be possible if it had not been for my dear patrons who pledge their hard-earned money every month. There are especially a few of those patrons I would like to thank in person. These patrons are my 16 most loyal patrons. They have contributed for at least the last 13 episodes, and their names are Sandy, Maud, Amber, Anne, Charlotte, Christina, Claudette, Evan, Jennifer, Joe, Lisbeth, Mickey, Philip, PJ, Sarah, and Troy. You guys really help produce this show, and you have my deepest gratitude. Thank you. As always, I thank you, dear listener, for listening. Please feel free to leave a review on your favorite podcast app, my Facebook page, at facebook.com slash the SK podcast or Reddit. And please do subscribe to the show if you enjoy it. Thank you. Good night and good luck.